things where kids are passed off to the mom and men work and mom cares for the kids and mom disciplines the kids and mom has all the responsibility for the kids and dad just works and provides. That's not scriptural. It's not. Job continually sacrificed, rose up early in the morning, offered burnt offerings for every one of his children. That's what it means when it says, according to the number of them all. He was fully invested. Job was fully invested in covering, nurturing, and fulfilling his spiritual responsibility for each of his children. Amen? Amen. Well, there you go. That was free. We're going to move on. Verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them. And the Lord said to Satan, this is interesting, the Lord saw him there. And the Lord said to Satan, whence comest thou? Where are you coming from? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro in the earth, from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said to Satan, who's talking here? Who? The Lord. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? Satan didn't bring him up. God did. Sometimes his story gets twisted like Satan came and then Satan brought him up and wanted to do something. No, 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 no. He was just there. He was just walking to and fro in the earth, going up and down in it. And the Lord asked him, where are you coming from? And the Lord thought, this is a good opportunity to do some things I've been wanting to do. And he says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? And then the Lord begins boasting on one of his children. He says, there is none, and and God's not like you and I, you know. I got kids, and I I can say they're angels, but they You know, we may not define which type of angel they are sometimes. All of our kids are angels. We're just not sure which type every once in a while. Amen? You know what I'm talking about. So we may say glowing things about our kids, and we should. But we may exaggerate things a little bit every once in a while. I mean, maybe you didn't as a parent. I did. Still do, probably. We just see the best in our kids, and we should. We should. The Lord doesn't make stuff up. He doesn't stretch things. He's a God of truth. When he speaks, he speaks truth. And so he spoke of his child here, Job, and he's, this has got to be eating at Satan, as the Lord's saying this. I got this guy, Job. There's none like him in the earth. A perfect and an upright man. He reveres me, and he hates evil. Verse 9, then Satan answered the Lord and said, 
Does Job fear God for naught? We'll keep reading here. Have you not made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands. His substance is increased in the land. See, Satan's arguing with God. He's trying to tell God the reason he loves you and the reason he's what you're describing to me is just because you've done this and you've done that and you've got this around them and you've blessed him. And so he's not serving you for nothing. That's what he said. Does he serve you for naught? He was trying to say in his own deceptive way as though he could deceive God. He was really irritated because God was pointing out somebody that hated him. In his own way, he was trying to justify and say, he loves you just because this. Watch verse 11. Satan's still speaking here to God. And he says, God, put forth your hand now. And touch all that he has. And he will curse you to your face. Whose hand are we talking about here? God's hand. This is Satan talking. Yes? And he says to God, he's not telling God what to do, you understand. He's proposing. God... Put forth your hand, the hand of God, and touch the hand of God, touch all he has, and he'll curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all he has is in your power. Watch what the Lord says. Only upon himself Put not forth your hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Skip down to chapter 2. We're going to take just a minute here reading. I've told you. Now if you were to read verses 13 through 22 of chapter 1. Many of you know this story. You would find that. Everything that we read in those first few verses that Job had was taken away. Different armies came, the wind came, storms came, a wind came and smote the house where all of his children were and it collapsed, killed all of his kids, all of his cattle and herds were killed. Everything was destroyed after the Lord put forth his hand. Verse 2. That's all taken place, and now we're picking up after all that's taken place. And the Lord said to Satan, From whence comest thou? Oh, it sounds like they're back together again. Where are you coming from? And Satan answered the Lord and said, I'm going to and fro in the earth, walking up and down in it. And the Lord said to Satan, Who's bringing him up? The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? That's probably the last person that he wanted to hear about because if you'd read the last verse in chapter number 1, the scripture says after he lost all of that stuff and all these things took place, it says, in all of this, Job sinned not 
neither did he charge God foolishly. And so then we pick up where we just started reading. And the Lord says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him in the earth, the perfect and an upright man, one that fears God. and That sounds awful familiar, doesn't it? You ever have somebody just keep telling you the same thing and you're like, okay, I've heard how proud and you keep bragging on the guy. I heard you the first time. Don't you know that was just sort of eating the Lord just telling him, have you considered Job perfect, upright, fears God, hates evil? And still... He holds fast his integrity. The Lord is talking about the integrity of relationship that Job had with him. No matter what happened, Job did not compromise the integrity of his relationship with God. The Lord didn't deny that he had a hedge around him. But the Lord removed the hedge and all these things happened. How is it that Job was able to maintain his integrity when the hedge was removed? I'll tell you how. This is a, a thing we can learn in our walk with God if we want to live for God no matter what. It was in the first verse. Job feared God and he hated evil. Even when the hedge was gone, he had a fear of God and a hatred for evil. Even when the hedge is removed, if we'll let the Spirit of God give us a fear of God, a reverence of God, and a hatred of evil, even without a hedge, Satan can't get to us. The Lord says he still holds fast his integrity, although, watch what the Lord says, although you move me against him. Who was moving against Job? Who was? The Lord. Oh, see, we haven't taught it this way, have we? We've always taught well, Satan began to attack Job. Satan asked the Lord to move his hand against him. Does the Lord answer to Satan? No. So if the Lord, and here the Lord acknowledges, although you move me against him, To destroy him without a cause. Is the Lord God being deceived by Satan in this moment? So must we agree then that God has a greater purpose. And he's doing something and he has a plan for Job's life. And the adversary thinks he's getting one up here. But really God has a purpose and therefore, it's the only reason God has agreed to move his hand against him. Satan did not move his hand against Job. God did. We're reading it together. Verse 4. Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin. All that a man has will he give for his life. Notice verse 5. We're going sort of slow, I know, but I want us to see this repeatedly in the Word of God. Verse 5, Satan is talking to God still, but God implied, put forth your hand now. Whose hand are we talking about? Whose? God's. In all of these situations in Job's life, it was the hand of God. 
oh, Job must have done something to deserve it. He must have failed and God's punishing him. Do you read that anywhere we were just reading? God said, perfect, upright, none like him in all the earth, fears God, hates evil. So you can't go and say, well, he's, this must be happening to him because he failed. This must be happening to him because he disappointed God. This must be ha- There's nothing in this story of history that bears that out. We recognize that this thing that's happening in his life is the hand of God working in his life. According to the word of God. This is the hand of God reaching into his family. This is the hand of God reaching into his life. This is the hand of God that has taken these things away. This is the hand of God. And if the hand of God is moving in Job's life, and if the hand of God is moving in your life, he's always doing it with purpose. He never does it as some game he's trying to play. He's not trying to see what he can get a response out of you. God has purpose. And so when the adversary showed up and began to petition God, the only reason he did is because God brought him up. And I promise you, if God brought his name up, it's because God had a purpose and a plan for Job. We give the enemy too much credit. We give the enemy too much credit. He didn't do this to Job. I grew up most of my life believing that Satan did all of this. Then I started reading the scripture. I mean, I'd read it before, but I'd been taught so many times or heard so many times that I'd never saw it, though it was right there on the page. It wasn't Satan's hand. It was the hand of God. Therefore, if it's the hand of God... The hand of God is always working things out for a purpose and for good. You believe that? I don't even know what verse we're in. Five. Six. Now. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he's in your hand, but save his life. This is an important principle in Scripture. Satan can't hurt you. Satan can't destroy you unless the Lord allows him to. And then you begin giving him room in your life and reject God. He has no authority over you. Some of you heard this before. If Satan could kill you or me, we'd be dead. Already. Think he's going to let you live and risk you getting a right relationship with God? Risk you being all that God intends through your life? No, he'd kill you. But he can't. He has to answer to God for every life he touches. So went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with boils from the sole of his foot to his crown. He took him a potsherd to scrape himself with all and he sat down among the ashes. Then said his wife to him, Do you still retain your integrity? Curse God, die. Now, Job's wife gets a bad rap. And uh, I'm not justifying her actions. She could have been a little more supportive. For sure. But the jester's going to lean over and give Sister Jester a word back there, I think. No, I'm kidding. 
<laughs> Everybody turn around. But let's not forget, she lost everything too. She lost all her children too. She was still with Job. That says something. She could have bailed on Job. She didn't. She was going through the same thing. I can't imagine what was happening in her heart when she was saying these things. She was tired, angry, frustrated, grieving, mourning. All right? Verse 10, Job responds to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at what? Shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? Even Job knew it's the hand of God that's working in our life. He acknowledged it. He acknowledged it and was trying to get his wife to see that when he said, shall we not receive, shall we receive good at the hand of God and not receive evil? In all this, did not Job sin with his lips? Skip down. No, let's just wait right there for a minute. That was a long introduction. Show of hands. How many of you thought, have always thought, Satan did all this to Job? Raise your hand. Thank you for your honesty, right? That's common knowledge or common misconception. Is this? But we just read multiple places in the first couple of chapters and Job's acknowledgement even. This is the hand of God. Now Job was perfect and upright, feared God, eschewed evil. Therefore, he did not give in to the deception that the adversary's doing this. He understood whatever's happening in my life. If I'm pursuing God and maintaining integrity, this was key, came up twice here. If I'm maintaining integrity in my relationship with God, anything that's happening in my life is ordained by the hand of God. We need an understanding and a revelation that comes from God. That your life and my life, when I'm yielded to Him, when I maintain integrity of relationship with Him, it doesn't matter the circumstance. The adversary has no authority over my life. He has no authority over your life. Everything that comes or goes is because God is in control when I let Him be. And I trust the hand of God is working with a purpose. He's working with a purpose. But you don't understand. I lost all my children. I could hear Job's cry. 
but the hand of God is upon my life. I'm maintaining this relationship. But explain to me. I can't explain it. I don't understand it. But I know I've maintained my integrity and relationship with God. And therefore I know the hand of God has purpose. But it's painful. It hurts. I wish I had some answers and I've got none. Seems like this isn't fair. I know, Job. But I know the hand of God is at work. And if God's hand is doing this, God has a purpose for your and my life. Why would God's hand move and bring and allow circumstances that cause loss and hurt and pain? He has a greater purpose. And it's for good. It's for good, for your good, for my good. Pray with me right now. Jesus, open our understanding. Give us your perspective, Father. You are in control when we allow you to be. You are in control when we allow you to be, Father. In the name of Jesus, open our understanding of your hand at work in our life. In Jesus' name I pray. In Jesus' name I pray. Job chapter 3 verse 25. Hear the words of Job. For the thing which I greatly feared is come upon me. And that which I was afraid of is come unto me. Verse 26. I was not in safety. Neither had I rest. Neither was I quiet. Yet trouble. You see what those two verses just revealed to you and I about Job? That which I feared has come on me. And that which I was afraid of has happened to me. I was not in safety. What's he saying? I thought... What is he saying when he says, I was not in safety? I thought I had everything in order and that I had everything protected. I thought everything was in a safe spot and cared for. I mean, I was sacrificing for my kids, every one of them, daily, just in case they had sinned. Just in case they'd done. I thought, I, I thought I'd protected everything. I thought I'd cared for everything. I, I thought I'd put everything in order so that I'd plan for any incident, any circ. I thought I'd planned carefully. I thought I was in a safe place. I protected everything so that that fear that I had couldn't get a hold. And I did this. I was afraid. I, I knew this was going to happen. I had, And we see into Job's life a place that we hadn't seen before. 
the very thing he'd feared. How often did he fear it? I don't know. I don't know if it came on him daily. I don't know if it was every once in a while. I don't know if... I believe based on what we've read in Scripture that one of his motives for the daily sacrificing for his children was this fear. And fear is a terrible motive. Fear is not God's motive. And so this fear motivated him. And so the Lord had to somehow bring something that could allow God to reach into the life of a perfect and upright man and deliver him from anything in his life that would give the adversary a place to lay hold of. Anything in his life that the adversary could say, oh, whenever I want to just pull him back a little bit, I'll go to this place I know called fear in his life. What was the hand of God doing? The hand of God was allowing circumstances to bring to bear this motive in Job's life. Not so he could hurt him. So he could remove every advantage of the adversary. John chapter 14. 14. Verse 30. Watch this. This is Jesus Christ speaking to his disciples. He says, hereafter, I will not talk much with you. He's not far from crucifixion at this point. Saying, I'm not going to talk much with you. Why is he beginning to limit how much he talks with his disciples? Notice, colon, now he's going to define or point back. To why he just said what he said. I'm not going to talk much with you hereafter. For the prince of this world's coming. That's Satan. And he hath nothing in me. Do you remember when Peter rose up. When the Lord said he was going to die. He was going to have to die. And they were going to take his life. Remember Peter rose up and wanted to protect him. Right. Because Peter loved him. And so Peter did what any good human being would do. Oh, not so, Lord. I'm not going to let him kill you. I'm not going to let him take your life. He was protecting him, right? That's the love of, of human compassion. Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You savor us not the things that be of God. I was trying to love you, God. I'm trying to protect you for something that's going to, distri- that's going to hurt you. You're going, to, you're going to lose your life. I don't like the sound of that. And so human compassion steps in. But the hand of God had a different plan. The hand of God had a different plan. And this element of humanity that was stepping in to save the Lord Jesus Christ. He was trying to save him from his calling. He was appealing to his flesh not to die. That's why Jesus turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Why? Peter, in his human compassion, was speaking contrary to what God had ordained for the man Christ Jesus. Judas comes in the garden. Judas sees Jesus in the garden, walks up and kisses him, tells all the soldiers, I'll show you, it'll be the one that I'll kiss. Judas walks up, kisses Jesus, and Jesus turns to him and says, friend. And if you look at that word in the Greek, it means a close, intimate friend. 
Let me get this straight. Satan's trying to keep you from dying, or Satan. Peter is trying to keep you from dying. He's Satan. Judas is kissing you so you'll be identified and get killed, and he's your friend. Right. Right. Because Judas was fulfilling the will of God, which was taking him to a cross. Satan in Peter was fulfilling or trying to get him not to fulfill the will of God by avoiding the cross. See, we've always identified the hand of God with blessing, favor, goodness. Everything's wonderful, perfect, great. And the Lord does that. The hand of God does that. But he's more concerned with making sure there's nothing in me that the adversary can lay hold of. And so Jesus is saying here, I'll not talk much with you. Why? Because when I talk with you, i got to talk about where I'm going. And I'm going to a cross. I'm going to die. And when you hear that, your human emotion kicks in. And your human emotion wants to reach to my human emotion and try to, because he was all God and all man. And it wants to try to deter me from a cross that I have to go to that the Father's ordained for me. And so I can't risk talking with you much. Because I've gotten to a place by the grace of God and the Spirit of God operating in my life where the prince of this world doesn't have any that he can lay hold of to keep me from doing the will of God. And so the Lord will take you and I and bring circumstances in our life. Circumstances that at times can be painful, troubling, disruptive. We don't understand why and we're trying to figure it out. I'll tell you why. The Lord is trying to bring these motives to the surface so He can deliver us from those things that are human dependencies and human elements that we would hold to in our ability, in our capability, in our own doing. He'll bring them to the surface. And how does He do that? Circumstances that are unfavorable. Maybe you fall off of a ladder. Maybe you, I don't know, maybe something happens in your life. You lose your job. Maybe this happens. You're in a car accident. You don't understand why. And it derails everything. Your finances are in chaos. And you're going, what's going on? I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. I'm faithful in my finance to God. I'm doing this. I'm working. What's happening? Is the Lord trying to punish me? No. He's revealing motive through circumstances so that He can bring that motive to the surface. Not to harm, but to heal, deliver, take away any advantage of the adversary. Any advantage of the adversary. When the adversary has something in us, it's like spiritual blackmail. Does that make sense? It's like spiritual blackmail. I'm trying to pick on somebody without them feeling like I'm picking on pick on Sister Jasmine. Brother Martin gets a lot of it. It's like he's just holding something over our head. And we can live for God, but the moment we start trying to walk in the power and the authority and the calling of God that's on our life, he's like, I think I've got to use this thing I've got against them. I'm going to try to, I've got that access, this, this place that I know in their motive that will just shock them because they don't fully trust God in that area yet. They're still dependent on their own ability. They're still dependent on what they can do. And, what, and so I know I've always got that place there. And if I just disrupt that area in their life, they'll back off. 
They'll back off and they'll start trying to do it on their own again. And I just hold on and use that place in their life. Oh, it doesn't stop them from living for God, but it keeps them from being fully all that God intends. And so the love of God and the desire of God to bring us to a place where he can use us without the adversary having any advantage over us brings circumstances into our life that disrupt our world, our emotions, but it brings that stuff to the surface. And I have one of two options pour myself into fixing it and controlling it myself or laying my life on the altar and saying, God, it's all yours. I can't fix it. I don't understand it. But I trust that you are in control. And I'll maintain integrity of relationship with you. I'll pursue you in all of this. I'll not try to make my own way and my own effort and ability. I'm not talking about sitting down and doing nothing. You understand. But God, I'm going your way. And I'm going to recognize and identify whatever's taking place in my life because I know I've maintained integrity and relationship with God. This must be the hand of God and he has a purpose. And so Lord, help me know your purpose. Now, I'm trying to finish, I think. Galatians chapter 4, very familiar to us. Galatians 4 and 19, the Apostle Paul said, My little children, of whom I travail in birth again, until Christ be formed in you. Till Christ be formed in you. When you and I receive the baptism of the gift of the Holy Ghost... We don't get, you can't get more Holy Ghost than you got the day you received the gift of the Holy Ghost. Let's just be clear about that. All right. When you read in Scripture, they were full of the Holy Ghost. It doesn't mean they were half full of the Holy Ghost before and then they got filled up. All right. When you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, the indwelling Spirit of God is in you, it's there. You didn't get like, like some of us didn't get a quarter of it and another person got a half of it and this one got like, you know, they got like a full tank. That's why they're so, God uses them. They got the whole Holy Ghost. I didn't get all of it yet. I'm working on it. No! You receive the baptism of the gift of the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God dwells in you. The challenge isn't getting more Holy Ghost. The challenge is getting less flesh. More of this man dying so that he can live. And so God continues to work in our life. We read in the book of Matthew, I think maybe Luke, but one of those two. You know it's in there. You'll tr- when I tell you, you'll know. We read in the scripture that this angel of the Lord appears to Mary, right? And he says, Mary, that which is conceived in you, that's being birthed in you, right? It's of the Holy Ghost. So that's so people that think there's three gods, that's just foolishness. The Holy Ghost is the Father. 
this child that's conceived in you is of the Holy Ghost. Well, the Holy Ghost is the father of the child. Doesn't get much plainer than that. And so this which is conceived in you is of the Holy Ghost. Now we know that this child conceived in her is the Lord Jesus Christ, yes? And so this child is born, not at Christmas time, but it's okay if we celebrate. It gives a reason to talk about him. And so this child is born, and when he's born, he's not a full-grown man. We agree. He's not a full-grown man. He's a baby. Now, he's all God and all baby. Yes? I know we always say he's all God and all man, and he was. But he's also all God and all baby. I want us to see this. He's all God and he's all baby. And then he's a young boy. And he's all God and he's all boy. And at 12 years old, we see the first thing that sort of happens where we get a glimpse of the God in the boy. At 12 years old, he's in the temple and he's counseling with the doctors and they they can't dispute the wisdom with which he speaks at 12 years old. But he knows it's not time for him to walk in the fullness of ministry and calling yet. But he's all God and he's all boy. And then he becomes a teenager, and he's all teenager, and he's all... What's happening? The man is growing. He's growing into a man. He's all God, but he's not all man yet. Does that, does that make sense? At three years old, he wasn't all man. He was all three years old. The man was growing. He was all God. God never left him. God, as the man is being formed, is forming in him. His thoughts, his actions, his ideas, his choices. He's ever listening to God as a boy, as a man. We understand that, the growth of an individual. Paul said, my little children, that sort of tells you about where they were in their growth. I mean, really. He didn't say, my young men. He said, my little children, of whom I travail... I'm not calling you little children. Don't read into that. Of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. When you and I receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, why? if we all got the same Holy Ghost, why is it that some people progress further in the things God does with and through them? They allow God to be formed in them. They don't settle for, well, I received the Holy Ghost and that's all I was wanting. I just wanted to know I had it. I got it now. Thank you, Jesus. No, now we receive the gift of the Holy Ghost and it begins to lead us and guide us in all truth. It begins to direct our steps. It begins to direct our... It, not it, He... The Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost, begins to direct our lives, our choices. And we learn as He speaks to us and we fellowship Him in prayer and fellowship Him in the Word, the Holy Ghost begins to... We begin to die out more and more to the flesh and we begin denying the flesh more and more and the Spirit of God begins to rule and reign in our hearts more and more to where we get to the place, by the grace of God, this would be the desire of God, that we would get to the place to where we no longer live our life, but God lives for us. It's what the Apostle Paul said. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth within me. And the life I now live, I don't even live it by my own faith. I live by the faith of the Son of God. 
This is Christ being formed in you. So, you're saying, that's great. What does all that have to do with Job? I'll tell you what all that has to do with Job. As Christ is formed in us, he begins to deal with those areas in our life that are not of him. You say, well, I've dealt with sin. He dealt with sin at the cross, the blood. I was baptized in Jesus' name. All of my sins were washed away. Absolutely. But there's still flesh fleshly desires and fleshly elements and fleshly whims that we give into that Christ is wanting to be formed so that the adversary has no advantage over us. This is the design of God. Because if the adversary has a place that he could lay hold on, he could have kept Jesus Christ from going to the cross. And if the adversary has a place in you and I that he can get a hold of, it will keep us from going to the cross and dying with him so that he can live. And so the Lord Jesus Christ moves his hand and brings circumstances and situations into our life. It's the love of God. It's the love of a father that moves his hand against a child, knowing it will be painful for the child, but seeing the end rather than the beginning and recognizing when I'm done, my child will be all that I intend. I don't know your circumstance. Maybe some of you I do. But most of you I don't. But I would submit if you have and are seeking to maintain integrity and in relationship with God. The circumstance is God's hand at work. Don't give the adversary credit. Let God bring that thing that you fear to the surface. Let God bring that thing that... The adversary would use as an advantage to the surface and let God heal it and deliver you so the adversary has no place. Here's why this matters so much, and I'm finishing. The last few weeks, what have we been talking about? Authority, dominion, walking in authority. Walking in spiritual dominion. Walking as sons of God. Knowing who we are. Letting the power of God manifest itself through us as the church of the living God. We were here Wednesday night and we heard instruction about praying spiritual warfare. And restraining the adversary by the power of God working through us. We heard these things. The Lord is dealing with us about these things. About dominion and authority and walking in it. But you know what will keep you and I from walking in dominion and authority? If the adversary has a place in us, he says, Oh, you're going to step out in that. Watch me do this to you. If you, oh, I don't, you know, I'm just going to be a good Christian and sit on the pew. And, and so the Lord, in his love, brings things to our life to bring all that so the Lord can say, Let me deal with that. The adversary wants you to think you have the responsibility to be the provider. And the Lord says, I own it all. I'll provide. 
Everybody wants to see a miracle, but nobody wants to need one. How many of you believe God's a healer? How many of you has ever healed? Everybody wants to believe he's a healer, but nobody wants to be the one that needs healing. I mean, we all want to know him as provider, but I don't want to be in need. Circumstances bring us to a place where we come to know him the way he desires to be known. This is the hand of God to reveal himself to you and I. So that as sons of God, we know our Father and we walk in the authority and the dominion of the Father knowing He's in control. Would you stand with me today? I realize this has been dramatically different. But this is so important for where we are as a church and where God wants to take you and I individually and collectively. What took place in Job's life was the hand of God. You read the last chapter of Job, you know the story, right? Got back double. Everything double. Children, his daughters were the fairest in the land. That means they were the most beautiful. Probably look like my girl. Right? So that was his daughters. This was, you get it? Restored, double. You know, that tells me a couple of things. Number one, if they had all these daughters again, these sons and daughters, apparently him and his wife were young enough when they went through this the first time. Young couples in the room. Don't despise or fear the hand of God working in your life. Don't let the circumstances cause you to fear. Let them cause you to cling to God. Knowing he's in control. He knows what he's doing. You can trust him. Restore double all those things. Do you think the adversary could cause Job to fear losing everything again? Not anymore. Why? He'd lost everything. And he'd seen God restore it all. And he'd come to know. The adversary can't do anything that God can't fix. The Lord uses circumstances to take away those things that would give the adversary advantage in your life. In Jesus' name. Could we find a place to pray today? I pray that by the perspective of the word of God, perhaps our prayer would be different this morning. Could I encourage you to embrace whatever God's doing in your life? Now, if you're making poor choices, that's not, that's not God letting you make poor choices. You and I still have to make choices. 
But I'm talking about where you're walking with integrity. You're honoring God according to the word of God. You're taking steps according to the leading of God and the guiding of God. But you still don't understand the circumstances that are taking place. And you're looking for answers. Let the Holy Ghost give you answers today. The hand of God is working in your life to remove any advantage of the adversary. This is the love of the Father. This is God's plan for you. Because you are a son of God and He intends to work in and through your life with authority and with dominion. And when you're walking in places of authority and dominion, there's nothing there the adversary can lay hold of any longer. So you can fulfill the will of God without hesitation. You can fulfill the will of God without hindrance. You can fulfill the will of God without fear. In the name of Jesus, open our understanding today, Lord. Impart into our spirit this truth of your word. Let us to see with eyes of the spirit what you are doing. Let us see with eyes of the spirit and fresh understanding and revelation today where you are and have been working in our life. Give us fresh perspective today by the word and spirit of God where perhaps we've looked at circumstances Through a deception lens. Let that lens be removed today. Let us see clearly by the word of God and the spirit of God. In every life, in every family, in the body of Christ. Where you are using circumstances of life. Because of your love for us. And your plan to use each one. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Father, in your name. Inamando roko ye ki ananando lo bosita ha. Ye dele di amando lo si ye yamane kotori alamaha. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Itamando lobosi arabakaye lorori alamasito. Inamande ye kataye lore yamate yori alavata. Iteledi aramando lobosi kataye.
circumstances into our life that are uncomfortable, disruptive, painful. If I'm not careful, if I'm not careful, pride will get in the way. And rather than acknowledge and humbling myself before God and say, Lord, do what you've got to do. Work how you've got to work. I can hold my back in pride. is bringing us to a place where we'll humble ourselves before Him so we understand and realize anything good that comes through this life is the work of the Spirit and the grace of God. And when we become fully yielded vessels to God as sons of God and His Spirit operates through our life wherever we go with a clarity and an understanding, this is God working through me. This is God working through me. And the adversary has nothing in me, no over me. And I'm yielded to the work and the Spirit of God. All circumstances humble us, but they serve God's purpose in our lives for His glory, for His glory, for His glory. Yeah. Uh-huh.
Praise God. Praise God. understand that. You understand this moment of pain is going to serve a purpose down the road that's far greater. And so I have to, they have to feel this pain because it teaches them something. It takes something out or it puts something in, right? I mean, even the scripture teaches us that in the natural. Foolishness is in the heart of a child. I'm not calling you a child. Foolishness is in the heart of a child. How do you get that out of their heart? Well, the scripture says the rod of correction drives it from them. Well, that sounds painful. What's more painful, a rod of correction or a child that becomes an adult with foolishness in their heart? Right? And so we understand that. Listen to the Apostle Paul before we go today. 2 Corinthians 12. Sister Jasmine shared this with us about three weeks ago on a Wednesday night. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in the middle of verse number 7. Paul said, There was given to me a thorn in the flesh. That was a natural circumstance. We know it because it says flesh, not spirit. There was given me a thorn in the flesh. We don't know if it was a physical ailment, but we know it was something natural. There was given me a thorn in the flesh the messenger of Satan to buffet me. We don't have time to talk about all of that, but the thorn wasn't Satan. All right? Satan saw the thorn in the flesh, and so Satan began to bombard his thoughts. That's how the enemy works. If you look at that word, there was given to me, that word given there in the Greek is a gift. It was a good thing. There was a gift. He had a gift. The thorn in the flesh, the circumstance was a gift. Well, the adversary saw how the circumstances, the gift, which was from God, affected their thinking. And so the adversary thought, this is the chance. I'm going to stop bombarding their thoughts. That's the messenger of Satan. That makes sense? So there's this thorn in the flesh, this gift in my flesh, my natural circumstances, my life. So now the adversary is bombarding my mind because of it. And I don't understand. Why? Lest I should be exalted above measure. It's keeping the Apostle Paul in a place of humility. This is what circumstances do to us. This is God's design. Verse 9, 8. For this thing, this sounds like some of us, and I've been right here. I besought the Lord three times that it would depart from me. Change my circumstance. Take this out of my life. Fix this, Lord. And the Lord responded, verse 9 said to me, no. Now, it doesn't say no, but that's what the Lord said. No. My grace is sufficient for you. 
Paul, you've got to learn if your circumstance doesn't change, grace is enough. The grace of God, when you're filled with the Holy Ghost, you have the spirit of grace. God's grace is sufficient even if the circumstance never changes. What is Paul learning? I can lean on him even if my life isn't what I think it should be beautiful and perfect and all those things. My dependency is on the grace of God, not my circumstances. And God uses circumstances to teach us to depend on him. So the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. You see how contrary the world system is? When we're going through stuff, what are we supposed to do? Be strong. Put on a good... Just be strong. The Lord was using circumstances, something in the flesh, to bring Paul to a place of humility and weakness. Was the Apostle Paul used of God? Maybe greater than any man we know. Absolutely he was. He had circumstances in his life that brought him to a place of humility and weakness. Watch. Notice how his mindset changes once the Lord spoke to him about grace and he understood God's not changing my circumstance. God's got me here so I'll be humble and weak so he can be strong. Now notice the change of communication once Paul got this revelation. Most gladly, therefore. Did his circumstance change? Nope. But his perspective changed. He understood the circumstance's purpose. Most gladly, therefore, will I glory. Whoa. I will glory in my infirmities. Why? That the power of Christ may rest on me. Verse 10. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, that's needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. God used circumstances to bring Paul to this place. And Paul finally got the revelation. These circumstances are serving God's purpose. I'll stay weak so you're strong. I want the glory of God to rest on me. And if it takes the circumstances of this life to keep me in a posture and a place for the glory of God to tabernacle over me, for the power of God to work through me, I don't want Him to change them. I want Him to keep them there so that I stay in a place and you stay in a place where the glory of God can manifest itself through your life and mine. Amen. Stand with me today. Some of you have heard me say this to you, probably many of you. You may think about it differently now. Or you've heard somebody say this, man, I see the hand of God on their life. Anybody ever heard? I look around this room and one after the other after the other, I see the hand of God on your life. Is that an exciting thing? 
Isn't it? Well, you think, hold on, not after what I just read about Job. See, we have a different perspective. The hand of God on our life has a purpose. And it's a good thing. I don't want him ever to take his hand off my life. But trust in God. He knows how to abase and he knows how to exalt. And if we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, he will exalt us in due time. This is the plan of God. Amen. I'm going to ask Brother Johnstone to come and close today. If he wants to say something, he can. If he just wants to pray, he can do that. Amen. Father, we thank you for the hand of God that rests on our lives through all the different things that we go through. Father, we're thankful for your love, your mercy, your grace. Thank you for your confidence in us that, Lord God, we can accomplish your will, your plan, and your purpose because your hand is upon our life. You are leading and guiding. I pray, Father, help us to be sensitive and to follow after the mind of God and the hand of God that rests on each and every one of our lives. We don't have to understand it, but, God, we've got to be obedient to it that God's revelation and understanding will come later. So, Father, thank you for everything you're working and moving and doing in our lives today for your glory to be accomplished in our lives. In that wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. Real quick, any men that are going to go into men's conference, uh, we're going to meet up here. Uh, so yeah, anyone that's coming, just come up here to the front and we'll talk about men's conference.